Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Galatians. We are coming into our descent. We're coming down into, we're going to be in chapter 6. Normally, I would be getting into Christmas message mode. There is a Christmas, there's a couple Christmas verses in this. I mean, is there really such thing as a Christmas verse? I don't know, but it's all about Jesus. Um, but we will, we will try to finish the book of Galatians, and then we will make our um, takeoff into our new theme, January, the first Sunday of January, then Bill Loveless will come, and we've already been in communication to what our new theme is and everything, and so he's going to complement that, and then off we go. But as we kind of finish in the book of Galatians, if you've been with us since the beginning, um, we've taken this journey, and we find that this group of uh, believers here, there's Jews and there's Gentiles mixed into this, but it's a cluster of churches in a region that have struggled with they got saved the right way, but they were sanctified the wrong way. They started with Jesus, and then they, they went from faith to flesh, and we found that it could be either good-looking religious flesh, or last week we looked at it could be kind of just downright ugly-looking flesh. And so if you'll look with me in Galatians chapter uh, 5, let's start... Uh, in verse 16. And I know, I know up on the screen it's starting in verse 22 through 26 because we're going to really be focusing on the fruit of the Spirit this morning on verses 22 and 23. But just to kind of get a little bit of a context, he says in verse 16, this I say, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Easier said than done, right? But as you know with all diets, don't eat carbs, don't eat Christmas cookies, don't eat pizza this coming uh, Sunday or tonight. Um, don't eat that. The more you focus on, you know, effort on not... What is going on with that? <laughs> Does anyone know whose alarm that is? Anyways, the more you focus on with good intentions to focus on having victory over the flesh, the, the more you focus on it. But if you focus on the Spirit and having life in the Spirit and walking after the Spirit, after you enjoy what God has for you as he's meeting your needs in a legitimate way, after a while you look behind you and you're like, wow. God, I'm experiencing more victory and less defeat by not trying to have victory over the flesh, but by focusing on my relationship with Christ and walking in the Spirit. So he says, here it is, walk in the Spirit. And by default, guess what? You'll experience the victory of not having fulfilled the lust of the flesh. For the flesh goes against the, the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law, which is he's revisiting that whole thing. We're under a new covenant. We're not lawless, because if you'll read many passages, but the one that comes to mind is Romans chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. We're under the spirit of Christ. We're under the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. So this is our new relationship. He put his own holy righteous life within us to live his righteous life through us. And we're going to see today, this is what it looks like. It's going to look like the fruit of the Spirit uh, when we uh, walk in the Spirit. Verse 18, I uh, already read that. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. And this is how it's visible when you choose to step on the air hose, when you choose to put a kink in the garden hose, when you choose to not allow the life 
of Christ flow through you, then we take matters into our own hands. We don't believe that God's got our best interest in mind. And so we're a believer. We're going to heaven. But in, as we live the Christian life, we live as unbelievers. And we say, no, Jesus, I will take matters into my own hands. I will fulfill and meet my own needs. And so this is, the, this is what it looks like. The works of the flesh are manifest when we choose not to walk in the Spirit. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, and we defined all these last week. Um, Idolatry, that's a substitute for God. Witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like. In other words, he could keep going. And you could kind of plug in where you fit into some of those. And we all have kind of default flesh patterns or we could develop other ones. And it's basically the way we manage and cope and deal with life when we choose not to trust in Christ to meet our needs. So we defined the flesh last week as getting legitimate needs met in an illegitimate way. Right? And um, so, I mean, I'll just give you a quick example. Um... You have a legitimate need to eat food. And so you work a legitimate job and you get a legitimate paycheck. And if you're hungry and you don't want to work and you steal, that's getting a legitimate need met in an illegitimate way. See what I'm saying? So when we trust in Christ, we're saying he will provide all the needs in a legitimate way when I just simply trust in him. And we defined it last week. The flesh is the I life. Sin, singular. S-I-N, sin, right? And the I in sin, singular, is the I life. You hijack that out, and it's the independent life. And it's the sin of unbelief that we don't believe God is good enough that leads to the sins, plural. Sexual immorality. Uh, gossip, bitterness, unforgiveness. It's like the arms of an octopus. You cut one off, another one grows. And so we deal with the sins and we think Christianity is nothing more than a behavioral modification program. But at the, at the root of it is the I life. Because we just, I do not believe God that he can meet my needs. So I live independent with God, from God, not dependent as Jesus lived. Jesus could have taken matters into his own hands and lived according to his own will, but he was modeling what the Christian life looks like when it's lived by faith and total dependence on the Spirit and the Father. That's the model for us, right? And if we choose not to live that way, pick your poison. You'll have a manifestation of the flesh. It might look good, it might look bad, but at the core of it is the I life. No thanks, God, I got it. And these guys struggled with religion. They're like, no, th- thanks, Jesus, for giving me eternal life. I'll just, I'll just do the daily life, and it'll include circumcision and holy days and feasts and dietary laws and religious rules and regulations. But thanks for saving me, big guy. Right? I'll take it from here. So it's the I life. It could look good or it could look really, really bad. So it's just independent living, not believing that God is sufficient to meet those needs. But when we live as believers, dependent, we say, oh, not I, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And then when we, when we yield to that, 
we get into verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, gent- or, uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you laughing because I'm doing that? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its passion and desires. It's like it's reckoning that I life to be dead. Not, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 is just kind of our anchor uh, thought through the book here as we journey through it. And he says, um, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be, become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So let's pray. And this morning, what I'd like to focus on, <laughs> I made a typo, but I think it's a good one. I, I, I write my sermons. And the inside, I put KT. That's kitchen table, because this is all my kitchen table talk, as if we're a family sitting around the kitchen. So I just put KT. What's up, KT? We're kitchen tabling, and then I have some of that. On the outside is the title of the message, and the inside is all my quotes and verses and like scribbles and stuff like that that Helen always gets at the end. <laughs> um, but on the outside, fruit is a who, not a what. I got an extra S in there. And I started thinking about that after I printed it off. I'm like, I'm not going to fix it because it's kind of what I'm trying to say. And you'll, you'll, you'll see what I mean here, hopefully, in a minute. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would just guide us and uh, just lead us uh, through these verses. Help us to really understand who the fruit of the Spirit is and what that looks like in our life as we choose to trust in you, not only for our eternal life, but for our daily, victorious, abundant life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who knows about Dr. Seuss? Hey, did you know in Laguna Beach there's a whole um, gallery of just Dr. Seuss? Some of his like obscure paintings and stuff like that. We just discovered it. Uh, not discovered it like we're the, you know, the pioneers. We've, we're the first ones that found it. But I mean, we stumbled upon it when we had some friends come out and... Um, so I want to draw your attention to something here because as we consider the fruit of the Spirit, I want to kind of t- draw your attention to Horton Hears a Who. And if you haven't read this book, who's read this book? Anyone? All right, so you know about it. Um, has anyone seen the movie? They did an animated version with uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, I recommend it. It's clean. You know, it's good family fun. But in Horton Hears a Who, he has an encounter with these little tiny creatures. Um, and I'm just going to read to you something. He says, uh, they've proved they are persons no matter how small, kind of the more famous quote from the book, and their whole world was saved by the smallest of them all. My town is called Whoville, for I am a who, and we who's are all thankful and grateful to you. A who is a who, not a what. Horton, this is incredible. What are you anyhow? Not what, sir? I'm a who, Horton. A who? You're a who, Dr. Hoovy. Yes, a who. 
Oh, who, who? I live here in Whoville. You're like, Neil, we're not in first grade. <laughs> I know. But I think it's important when you come to the fruit of the Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it doesn't say fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It says fruit of the Spirit. Because when you think about it, the fruit that we have in us and we could experience as we choose to live by faith, live out this life that's been put in, we will experience who is love, who is peace, who is joy, who is gentle, who is kind. And so the fruit is a who, not a what. And I want to illustrate that by kind of taking you down a little journey, and then we'll circle back to the fruit of the Spirit. But I first of all, I want to just say this. Eternal life, when oftentimes we talk about eternal life, we think it's a somewhere heaven. We think it's a what you receive, like it's a ticket, like a Willy Wonka, and the, you know, you get the golden ticket. Man, I get to go to the, yeah, the factory uh, when I die, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but eternal life is a who you've received, not a what you've received. Many verses could talk about this, but I just want to, just with, just with English, you know, change it from a, a what or a somewhere to a who and a someone. And let's let the Bible kind of direct that thought. Look with me, if you would, just on the idea of eternal life as a who, not a what. Look at, um, I think it's First John. It'll be up here on the screen. No, did I, do I have that one? I don't have First John. No, no, okay, sorry. I, I guess I don't have it up there. Uh, my bad. Eternal life is a who, uh, not a what. Guess what? You're going to have to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. In 1 John chapter 5, it's towards the back of the Bible. You'll find Revelation. You turn back. I think there's Jude, and then there's 3rd, 2nd, then 1 John, if you keep going backwards that way. It's right there towards the back. The last chapter of 1 John and chapter 5, he says this, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. It's called Zoe life in the Greek. It's a particular kind of life that's exclusive only to God because he has no beginning. He has no end. He's self-existent. So this God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Pretty simple. You have Jesus, you have this particular kind of life, and it's eternal, it's everlasting. It's not bios life, it's not biological life. It's eternal, everlasting, resurrected power life, the life that can't be ended even if you kill it on a cross. You can't cease it. It has no beginning, it has no end. But it was at the beginning and created the beginning, and it's at the end, you know, um, and he'll be beyond the end. So this everlasting, infinite life, when you have the Son, you have this Zoe life in the Greek, and it's only used, describes God's life. These things, verse 13, have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, 
and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So you could know that you know that you know that you, your eternity is secured because you simply have the Son and the Son has you. Not do you have church, do you have religion, do you have rules, do you have the Son? If you have the Son, you have the life. If you do not have the Son, you do not have the life. Capish? Yeah? I looked at Vic when I said that. No, no relation there. Um, <laughs> verse 20 I love of First John chapter 5 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ this is the true God and eternal life it does a couple things in that last sentence it establishes the deity of Christ, and it also tells us what kind of particular life he is. And if you have the Son, you have this particular kind of life, which is not a somewhere or a something, it's a someone. If you have Jesus, you have a who, and the who is eternal life. Amen? Yes, we're going to a place called heaven, but do you realize heaven and earth are going to pass away? And you know who remains? The Word. So we are with a someone. We have him now. We'll have him throughout eternity. And the places may come and go, but the person abides. Not the dude abides. The son abides forever. All right. Um, I want to say this. Just kind of, just looking at some thoughts here. Light is a who, not a what. I probably don't have this one either. Now that I think about it, I put the section in a little bit later. But light is a who, not a what. I'm just going to quote this. If you want to turn to John chapter 8, verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I like this one. Truth is a who, not a what. Uh, John 14, 6, a very familiar verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just a way, one of the truths, um, one of the various forms of life there is. He's saying he is that who that is truth. Therefore, we read in John 8, 32 and verse 36. I don't know if that one's up there either, but, um, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free Therefore, if the Son makes you free, connecting who the truth is and freedom, you shall be free indeed. Look, knowing 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true, but that doesn't change my eternal uh, destination. You know, light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles per second. The Sun is, a, I'm going to round up but because it, it's like 92.96. But the sun is about 93 million miles from Earth. Traveling at the speed of light, 186,000, it'll take you about 8.2 minutes if you're traveling at 186,000 miles per second. The closest star outside of the sun to us is Proxima Centauri. It would take you traveling at 186,000 miles per second 4.2 light years. That's how far stuff is out there, right? <laughs> so you're going 186,000 miles per second, 
Not one year, four years to get to the closest star outside of ours. Four years, at 180, every second you're going 186,000 miles. You get that, right? So that's true, but that, what is that? I don't, I'm never going to try. What? That's true. I mean, that's, those are true, verifiable. Fact check it. Look on your phone if you want. Um, here's, what, here's something else that I thought was interesting. Knowing that if I make a call and spend 15 minutes on my phone could save me up to 15% on my auto insurance if I switch to Geico could be true. <laughs> but that doesn't change my eternal <laughs> destiny. Okay? That was a joke. All right. Some people in here have never seen TV before. Is that a commercial? Um, yeah. yeah. You could hear it on the radio, too. They trick you all the time. Geico always tricks you, right? They set you up. Bump, set, spike. Amen, Joseph Jr.? So what changes me forever is knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the truth. It's a who, not a what. Truth is a who, not a what. Are you with me? Okay. So I say all that to say the fruit of the Spirit is a who, not a what. I think this will be up on the screen, guys in the booth back there. Who is love? Well, we know from the Bible, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. Now, this isn't phileo love, like you love your brothers and your teammates and your co-workers. This isn't eros love, like you love your husband or wife. This is the agape, unconditional love, the 100% love without any expectation of anything in return. You can't love that way if you don't get the batteries included to love that way. And the only way you get that kind of love is if you have that kind of life. Because that kind of love, God will always love you that way because that's who he is. His doing love is based on his being love. So he'll do that because that's who he is. Do you kind of get the character, the why God acts the way he does? It's who he is. It's not some abstract external thing like, hey, better go to Home Depot in aisle four and get some more love. We don't go get things. We get God and in God and in his life because it's who he is, we're able to love because we have the source. 1 John 4.16, you probably already read it. Um, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The Bible tells you who love is. It's not a what. It's a who. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, the whole, the, you know, the, the love chapter, um, you put the name God in place of love, or Jesus, or the Spirit, the triune God. Love is patient. Love is kind. You put Jesus in there, it makes perfect sense, especially if you go back to verses 1, 2, and 3. Without, without him, nothing. You could give your whole body for all the causes and mission endeavors and projects and charity work without Jesus, nothing. God is love. He's patient. He's kind. Love doesn't think any evil. God doesn't either. Um, love endures all things. Love bears all things. That sounds like Jesus to me. 
right? It's describing a person, a who, not a what. Who is joy? Um, you could look at a lot of different verses. Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And I started, I didn't put this verse up there, but I, you know, there's joy in the presence of angels when one sinner repents and is converted. You know that passage in the New Testament? I didn't include it because I, I really didn't want to explain it, but I started thinking this was just a side thought. There's joy in the presence of the angels. They're in heaven. Someone gets saved. But they're in the presence of the one who is joy, is what I was thinking. John 15, 11, These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Jesus says this before the cross. He goes to the cross. He's buried. He rises again. And then on Pentecost, he deposits his life. And then his joy now is in every born-again believer because Jesus gets his prayers answered and he deposited his life, which is in his life, is the fullness of joy. And now the fullness of joy dwells in me. And you might say, why don't I experience joy? Maybe because we're looking at happiness, the happenings in our life, and the circumstances don't line up the way we think. And so we're not happy. And, we're, and so our happenings are not lining up the right way. So we therefore we don't have joy. That doesn't mean you don't have the one who is joy. We just are not experiencing the one who's joy because we're looking to the flesh, the circumstances, but we have the resource of joy. It's not a formula. It's found in a person. And that person who has all the joy lives in you, and he lives in me. What about peace? Here's where the Christmas verses are going to come, kind of come in. Um, I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and glory of the Lord showed round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. There's some joy for you there too. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. I, every time I read this, I always think of the peanuts, right? And I'm trying to change the tempo and the, the speed, so I don't think of the peanuts, but I still do. You shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Here's the point I want to make. Jesus is going to show up, and they're saying peace is on earth. My point is this. Was there peace on earth? No, the Romans were occupying Israel, and, they, and matters got worse. I mean, in 70 AD, there wasn't peace at all. They came and just wiped the place out. So there wasn't peace on earth as a piece of paper like people sign a peace treaty in the Middle East all the time. I remember seeing, what was it? Uh, was it Clinton? It was Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin, and one of the presidents was there. And they were making this big deal with the Palestinian Liberation Organization and Israel, and they were shaking hands, and this was going to be the peace treaty to, sign, to solve all peace in the Middle East. Did it solve it? No. <laughs> because you could sign every piece of paper you want and, and try to formulate every sort of uh, peace agreement you would, but until you know the Prince of Peace, you will not have peace because peace is not a process, it's a person. 
peace isn't a piece of paper. It's a person. You know there's going to be a reckoning someday. Jesus will come back, and we will come with him on a white horse, and he will make peace. He's a peacemaker. He's going to set the record straight. And there will be peace for a thousand years, and we will rule and reign with him forever and ever. And I want you to see this, another good verse, prophetic verse about the coming of Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6. It'll be up there on the screen. For unto us a child is born. This is a prophet. You'll see this verse if you go on the nativity walk uh, this coming Friday. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, another deity verse. He's going to be, Jesus is going to be called the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He can give peace, he can make peace, he can negotiate peace, because that's who he is. Peace is a who, not a what. If you want real peace. You want faux, fake leather peace? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, you get that between men to men and women to women. But you want real peace? That's between he made peace at the cross and he gives peace because you can't give out what you don't have. His peace is everlasting. It's who he is. So who is long-suffering? Who is kindness? Who is goodness? Who is faithful? Who is gentle? Who is temperate or self-control? This is, these all the fruit of the Spirit is are the characteristics of who Christ is. And we could experience this fruit when we choose to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. Okay? So, I want to quote to you. These are going to be some lengthy quotes. And you could get my notes afterwards. You could get these quotes afterwards. Or you could buy the book. The author is dead. The book is still in print. They're super cheap. I think like four or five bucks buy them used. But the book is called um, Christ, The Sum of All Spiritual Things by Watchman Nee, who's a Christian, a Chinese Christian who went to China, and he wanted to share who Christ is to his fellow um, kinsmen in uh, Asia. But look with me, if you would, at this quote. When he's talking about Christ, he's basically, he's kind of taking the same approach in that, in the book, his whole point in this one particular book is you don't get things, you get a person, and in that person contains everything. Because if you think of joy over here, and peace, and patience, and goodness, and kindness, you'll have it compartmentalized, and you could go to a whole conference just on like a peace conference or a love conference or a patience conference. And they seem to be external items that, that if you do a pie chart, you have, you know, well, I'm, I'm down a little bit on this, so I'll just go and get more of it. They become external concepts and abstract things that we acquire. And the Christian life isn't a life of acquisition. We started with everything when we got Christ. Christian growth is basically becoming who you already are and who you already have in Christ. You already have all the resources. We now just need to learn how to appropriate what we already got. Because the Bible says in uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's where you start. So the Christian life is not a life of acquisition. We're not acquiring more goodies from God. 
When you got God, you got all of the God you're going to get. The question is, how much of us is he going to get on a daily basis when we choose to walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh? Okay? Quote number one. There it is. Please take note, there is nothing at all impersonal in Christianity. You cannot find any impersonal element in it. And remember, this is translated from Chinese to English, so it's a little staccato, a little broken up a little bit. Every matter in Christianity has to do with personality, and the person involved is Christ. To put it another way, our patience is not a thing. Ours is a person. Our sanctification is not an experience. Ours is a man. Our justification is not a thing. Ours is a personality. Our righteousness is not a behavior. Ours is a being. When we are redeemed and delivered, we do not obtain items as such. For our redemption and deliverance are alive. Our patience, our humility, our our gentleness, our love, and so on, are the Lord himself. Not things, and this is what Christianity really is. In a believer's life today, Christ is already all and needs no waiting until a future day. Marinate on that a little bit. Way to go, dead guy. Why are all the dead guys so good, right? All the dead guys are good. Not all of them. That's a weird thing to say. But Look at this next statement. Before God... It is not a matter of the endowment of Christ. Rather, it is God giving Christ himself to us. God has not granted us humility and patience and gentleness. Uh, He grants the entire Christ to us. It is Christ who becomes our humility, patience, gentleness. It is Christ, the living Lord. And this is what is truly called Christianity. Amen? That's a great statement. Christianity is Christ. And in Christ contains all the fullness of God. If you have Christ, you have all that he has. We just need to learn how to extract it by faith and to live from that life on a daily basis. And you'll spend the rest of your Christian life on your way to heaven for sure. But do you want it to be kind of a, like a lame journey? <laughs> or do you want it to be that abundant, fulfilling, spirit-filled, fruitful life that is available to you and me. You don't need to go learn the Greek and the Hebrew and go to the seminary. To, you, you just need to learn to live from the life that you already have. And it's abundant and it's waiting. Let's look at this next quote. This is a good one too. Please note that the bread of life is a thing. So too is light, uh, the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, or the lamb. But in Christianity, there are no things, only Christ. This is the whole of the matter. We need to comprehend before God is that in our experience, there is uh, neither thing nor affair, but only Christ. Uh, Not that he gives us light, but that he is our light. Not that he leads the way, but he is the way. Not that he gives us life, but he is our life. Not that he teaches us truth, but he is the truth. Brethren, sistren, (laughs) do you grasp the difference here? Whatever Christ gives is his very own self. He doesn't give us things. He gives us himself. I've said this, I don't know how many times my wife's like, boring, I've heard this a million times. But if you were to take a vitamin, and in that one a day multivitamin, I'll just say once a life vitamin, and that pill, 
you took that vitamin and you only had to take it one time and you read the back and it said 100%, 100%, 100% righteous, 100% joy, 100% everything, 100%, 100%. Because when you take Christ, when you turn the package around, it says 100% and you got everything because in him was everything and you received him. Now you have everything. Now we just need to learn to live from what we already have, who we already have. So, we experience the fruit of the Spirit by abiding, not striving. Appropriating the fruit of the Spirit comes as we have a cooperation with his internal divine operation. This is experienced daily as we receive the Spirit of God initially by grace through faith. That's how we do it. So the abundant life is there for us to participate in and with as we walk in the Spirit and not after the flesh. It is seen uh, and shown as we believe and have faith that the supply of the Spirit in us, to us, and through us is there on tap. Where's Chloe? In full force. (laughs) Because we fully have Jesus who is the fullness of God. So we work from love, not for love. We still do work and effort, but this is from a place of rest. It's from a place of abundance, and it's from a place of abiding. So we experience the fruit of the Spirit as we rightly understand our relationship with God and as we go forward working and living and doing the things that we need to do, but we do it from a place of, I trust you, Jesus. I don't have the patience in me. That is in me. Neil dwells no good thing, but in me, because you put your life in me, I have on tap, full force, the reserve of the life of Christ as a resource for me to experience and express as life comes at me, his abundant life can come out of me. Squeeze. Anaconda squeeze. As you get anaconda squeeze, the life that's in you will come out of you. So, Let's look at just, I I believe these are up there. We're just going to look at two more verses and then we'll circle back to where we started. This is a familiar passage, but I picked it out of the message um, out of John 15 because he just says it in a different way. Uh, He says, I am the real vine and my father is the farmer. He cuts off every branch of me that does not bear grapes and every branch that is grape bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. That's why it's not really a good idea to judge people. Um, You don't know where they're at, really. They could be pruned. They could be back to the bare nubbin. You know, you're like, oh, is that guy even a Christian? Is that her even a Christian? Where's the fruit? We're not called to be fruit inspectors. We're just to be called fruit bearers, right? So um, you don't need to be the border patrol when you come from (laughs) Nevada to California. What's the... The fly, what's it? The fly maggot, something maggot thing, or I don't. You don't need to be the maggot fruit inspector of the illegal fruit, if it's legit fruit or not. You just need to be responsible for your abiding in Christ as a branch, and your dependent living on Him to supply all the sap and the the nutrients and everything that you need to live life. You're already pruned back by the message I have spoken to you, so the farmers are already at work in you. He says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do you in the same way that the branch cannot bear uh, grapes or fruit by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine, you are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, I love the way he words this, the relation intimate and organic. 
It's an intimate and organic relationship. When you think about a branch and the vine, that's an intimate and organic relationship. There's a lot of things that are dependent. The branch doesn't say rain. Um, can I call up some more sunshine? The branch has really no control over any of it. It's just to be plugged into the source. That's, a, that's an abiding, faithful, humble, meek life. And we don't like it. We like to just like, I'll just go <laughs> as a branch. I'll just do my own thing. You know, I'll just go do branch things and I'll produce. You watch me. I'll produce all the fruit I need. And it's fake fruit. It's not organic fruit. It's got all the pesticides on it. It's not good for anyone. The best way to do it is just to abide in Jesus. The only way to do it. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The last part of verse 5. And then John 10.10, 10, the thief comes, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life. That's that particular Zoe life. And that they might have it and experience it more abundantly by walking in the Spirit. There's so many counterfeits out there. You could settle for something less than Jesus, um, but don't go for it. So let's kind of circle back to where we started in our text. Um, turn there, if you would, Galatians 5.22, and then you'll see it up here on the screen as well. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's, uh, let us not become conceited, uh, provoking one another, envying one another. Can you imagine a branch just thinking it's the, like, the bee's knees branch of the whole vineyard? Like, dude, look at how low I'm bending. I've got so much cluster action on my branch. <laughs> so the Bible's just saying, let's not be conceited. Uh, let's not have vainglory. Because where does all the credit go if we bear fruit? Where, who gets all the credit? The branch? I think a lot of credit goes to the vine, the soil, the ability of the farmer, the weather, right? Not the branch. But God wants you to experience that life. That life. Look, I know you guys want the first three. Love, joy, peace. You maybe don't want the, the fourth one, but it's all, it's all there for you because you have Christ. And he wants us to bear a fruitful life. Right? And the Bible says, they will know you. You will know them by their fruit. It doesn't say you'll know them by their works. Why? I know a lot of religious people that do a lot of good works that make us look not so working. <laughs> they will like run circles around our good works. They knock more doors. They pray longer. They read more. They study longer. There's a lot of religions out there that do a lot of good works. But you can't manufacture the love that only comes from God. That's why he says you won't know them by their works, because you could do a lot of good religious works. You can't pull this off unless you have the Spirit. You can't imitate it. You know what an imitation fruit looks like? Shiny, hard, and plastic. <laughs> Bite on it, you lose your dentures. Right? 
So um, to wrap all this up, that, that's all I had. I, had a, I don't have a concluding slide, but I just have them in my notes. Let me ask you this. Do you have the Spirit? You can't experience the fruit of the, the Spirit and express it to others, right? You've been given love freely so you could give out love. It's not, we're not hoarding all the fruit. It's a catch and release. We get it and we give it. But you can't give it if you've never got it. Let me ask you, have you got the Spirit? Got Spirit? Have you received the Holy Spirit? You say, well, how do I do that? Simple. I'm a sinner. I'm never good enough, going to be good enough for God's heaven. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't even know where eternal life is, who eternal life is. All I know is I want to know. Jesus, come into my heart. Give me that life. Boom. That's it. It's a free gift. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to sign any weird agreement. You just by faith receive the free gift of God and that he will give you his life. And in his life, it's eternal. And then it contains all these bonuses. You get all this as an added bonus, right? For free. Um, so you'd say, I do have the spirit. I have received Christ. How's your walk? The Galatians were saved also. Remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 1? O foolish Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Remember that verse? So they were saved, but they weren't walking in the Spirit. So how about us? We have the Spirit, but are we walking in the Spirit? And then lastly, do we experience and express the life of Christ? If not, I guess my challenge for this week is go out from here and taste and see that the Lord is good. And ask him, you and your own relationship, intimate and organic. Say, Jesus, I want to experience what this patience is all about, your patience. I want to experience what this joy is all about. I want to experience what this peace, peace is all about. I want to experience what this um, gentleness and self-control, and I want to experience what faithful looks like. Uh, I, want to, I want to experience your love and your kindness and this whole thing about being patient and long-suffering. Um, Lord, I, I can't conjure it. I can't manufacture it. But if you're saying that it's in, I, have the, I have it in me, I want to experience. I want, I want to taste and see what it tastes like, right? It was like three solid Nacho Libre quotes in there for you, Quali. There's little pineapples for you, right? Um, so let's do this. Let's stand and be uh, dismissed in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this wonderful church that we could uh, do life together. Help us to leave here. I know we gathered as a church, but help us to leave here and to be the church, to be the visible body of Christ. And in Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, but also all the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, this, these are foreign concepts to us, foreign to me. But you said that we could experience these by faith as we trust you to live in and through us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.